0: Okay, this morning we're going to be in Psalm 23, and if you would like a Bible, I think you can go to the back and grab one, but you can rise for the reading of God's Word, and we will read Psalm 23, and then we will pray. Very familiar psalm. Probably most people, probably I would guess over 90% of us in the U.S., people in the U.S. have read this psalm. So let's read it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, Lord, we thank you for this amazing promise. God, how, what a comfort it is um, to live a life with you, with all our failings, Lord, with all the ways we've messed up with all the ups and downs of life and the pain and the joy and everything, all the unpredictable things that happen in life, and to know that you are our shepherd. And I know so many children, even in this church, have been taught this psalm. Some of them have memorized it. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that this psalm would take root in our hearts again as we come Many of us in a state of maturity, older years, more experience, we see this psalm fresh before us and that our hearts would be encouraged. We pray for Pastor Steve that you would bless him as he's teaching. Bless the church there. Protect them, Lord. Uh, Haiti is a dangerous place, Lord. We ask for your protection. We ask for you to protect our church, Lord. We follow the rules here, but Lord... We know we depend upon you to keep us healthy and safe. And so we ask for your protection here. We pray uh, as you command us, whether popular or not, we pray for our president. We pray for his healing. And Lord, I just pray for his soul too. I think of Abraham Lincoln who was converted in office. I think it was through the death of a child in a pandemic. Just pray that he would see his mortality Lord, that he would be humbled before you and he might come to know you in a a new uh, and real way, Lord. And we just pray that you'd bless our time and your word, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, maybe seated. Psalm 23. Psalm 23 was uh, written by King David probably after he was much older and after he had already become king of Israel. But today I want to go over a few of the circumstances that happened in David's life that led to the writing of Psalm 23. And I want us to see that in the Psalms, these reflect David's experiences with God. Now, we can know God by reading the Bible. These are the words that he gave to us, he revealed himself with. But we also come to know God through living out life, trusting in these words and finding him faithful to us. At the end of David's life, David could confidently say that God had been his shepherd through every circumstance that he went through. Well, David was the youngest of eight sons of his father, Jesse, Given his position in his family, he was the last in line for any kind of attention or family blessing. And in fact, when David's brothers had joined the military of, at that time, King Saul, David was left at home to take care of the sheep. And yet, we learn that David was a faithful shepherd. Whenever a lion or a bear would come after one of his father's sheep, David would catch them by the beard and kill them. Now in the middle of the reign of King Saul, God rejected Saul as king and told the prophet Samuel to go and anoint another man. Well, Jesse's oldest sons were tall and strong and attractive, and they all looked like the type of material that kings would be made of. But God said to Samuel, I do not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but yet the Lord looks at the heart. And so it was until David was actually brought before Samuel that God told him, Now, arise and anoint him. He is the one. And then Samuel took his horn of oil, and in the midst of his brothers, he anointed David. And the Spirit of the Lord came on David that day forward. Psalm 23 and verse 5. You anoint my head with oil, And my cup runs over now for the believer in Christ this actually represents the day of salvation it's the day when you first put your trust in Christ and by faith receive the Holy Spirit it's more than an assent to an ideal it's more than a pronouncement that someone makes over you it's God himself that places the spirit inside of you and it's not because you're a good person It's not because you kind of look like the type of person who has the potential to become a good Christian. No, the Bible says that salvation is a gift from God that no one can deserve or earn. This is the beginning of your journey and the time when the Lord becomes your shepherd. Now still, Israel remained under the rule of a very carnal king, Saul, for many years to come, in fact, and as a result, Israel was oppressed greatly by its enemies. And one enemy in particular became an opportunity for God to show his power in David's life. Does anyone here, and maybe some of the kids know, who that enemy is? What's that? Goliath. Exactly. That's right. So David, you may recall, confidently told Goliath, remember the giant of the Philistine army, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. And David told this giant, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And that's exactly what happened. David went out to Goliath, who had armor and a giant spear and a sword, and David went out with a few stones and his sling, the instruments that a shepherd carried, and he killed Goliath and brought victory for all of Israel. And after we become Christians, we begin to see the power in our lives as well. That's the amazing thing with the Spirit of God inside us we find a new power to overcome sin in our lives, sins that maybe we could never overcome. Ways of thinking that were dominant in our lives that overtook our thoughts, all of a sudden, by the power of the Spirit, we now find a new strength. And it remains a battle throughout the rest of our lives. Not a single one of us is perfect, but now victory becomes possible through the power of the Spirit of God. So, Psalm 23, verse 3. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Well, David was soon promoted to be commander of King Saul's armies and even, because, and even became the king's son-in-law. Now, David started to become quite popular. The women in Israel actually began to sing, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. But this made Saul extremely jealous. So, uh, so, uh, In fact, Saul became so jealous that he even tried to kill David on several occasions. Now, Saul's son's name was Jonathan, and Jonathan and David were quite good friends. And so, you know, Jonathan was trying to broker peace between his father and David. And at times it would work, But ultimately, David knew that Saul's jealousy would not be calmed forever. And so he lived in fear that he would be killed in the very place where he lived and he ate. And perhaps this experience was part of what caused David to write Psalm 23, verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Now, David probably didn't realize this at the time when he was going through this. But as David matured, I think he began to understand that it was God himself who prepared David to eat in the very presence of the man who was trying to kill him, King Saul. And as they ate at that same table, I wonder what it felt like for David. Eating all the time the eyes of somebody who wanted to kill you watching you as you ate have you ever been forced to live in a place of fear yourself some of us today are facing all kinds of fears the fear of COVID fear of the police fear of not having enough police fear of economic collapse fear of politics Fear of so many things, Uh, depression, that we will be able to ever come out of it. Fear of not being ever able to overcome some sin that dominates our lives. Well, when I was in Haiti, I gave the same message there. And I think of the street kids who are in Haiti and live in parts of the city there that are completely run by gangs. It's not like gangs in the cities in the U.S., uh, the closest you could get is Chicago. I've been in the inner city of Chicago, but there is really no comparison. I was in City Soleil one time, which is the slum of Haiti. And um, this is an unbelievable place. The police won't even go in there. Murders happen at least every week, if not every day. And when the gangs cannot get one of the young men in the community to do what they want, they make examples of them. They light them on fire, alive, while everyone else watches. The kids who from the streets who come to church sometimes call me after going home, having been stopped by the gangs, having seen people beat by the gangs. So even coming to church comes with fear for them. Even if you don't live in the slums, kidnappings are kind of a regular happening in Haiti. And the kidnappings that happen there are all about money. If you kidnap somebody and hold ransom over their heads, then you can, if you're poor, that is one uh, way that they see of making money. Well, the region, you might be surprised to find out, that nice, beautiful region out in the countryside where the university is being built and the orphanage, that region is also run by gangs. There's no police there to fight them off. You... Uh, have to try to hire your own private security if possible. And a week before I went down there, it turns out that some parents from that region had sent their kids to a local school, and the driver with the kids were stopped, and apparently the driver was taken out and burnt because the parents refused to pay the tax. This is the environment that they're living in. And I learned this story, actually, not from a leader... I actually learned it from one of the boys of CCF. His name's Marvin's, and he's about 13 or 14 years old. So these, this isn't sheltered from the children. This is the world they live in. Just getting in a car to leave their home comes with the risk. The, the gangsters will come out and carjack you. Uh, in fact, they've already had one car taken about oh, seven or eight months ago by the gangs. So when I was in Haiti... I asked the church this question. And I I bring all that up to let you know a little bit of what's going on in Haiti, but to also uh, challenge us in our own um, circumstances that are difficult, but in light of comparison, that did they believe that it was God himself who prepared the table that you sit at, the very table that exists in the presence of your enemies? Was that part of God's design? David believed it. Do we believe it? If the street kids believe it and come to church even with the risk or threat, if Pastor Serge and his wife believe it, if I believe it, Pastor Steve believes it, then how do we not go forward trusting that when difficult things come our way, God has a plan and a purpose in it? You see, God never promised to us that he was going to take away our enemies. Instead, he sets us in front of our enemies, calls us to love and pray for them, transforms us. I don't know if any of you have dealt with an enemy in your life while being a believer. Boy, does my anger and frustrations come out and constant confession and prayer to gain patience. And I'm a long ways from there. But how God uses my enemies at times, or has used them, to bring transformation. Sometimes a slow transformation, but nonetheless he does it. And we're called to be there in front of them, to sit in their presence. Well, eventually David did have to flee from Saul. And so when David left, about 400 men left with him, And they left to make their homes in wildernesses and caves and in foreign cities. And on their way, they had to stop for food in a town of Nob. And in the town of Nob, there was a priest named Ahimelech who offered David's men some food from the the site there. Um, It was important because David and his men had to leave in a hurry, and so they had no food with them. And he also offered uh, David the sword of Goliath. And David took those things, and he left and went into the wilderness. But unfortunately, a spy was there who informed Saul what Ahimelech had done. And so Saul, of course, being furious, commanded that all the priests were to be slaughtered. And that included 85 men. They were all killed, and it didn't just stop there. They then killed all the men, women, and children, as well as the nursing infants that lived in that town. They completely destroyed the priests and their families. Only Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, was able to escape, and he ran to tell David this terrible news. Now imagine how David must have felt. David actually confessed to him, I have caused the death of all the persons in your father's house. Maybe this is part of what David was thinking, this experience, as he wrote Psalm 23, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Have you ever had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death in your life? a place where both death and its cruelty has pierced your own soul. David, who had lived with Saul, Saul had become his family, he married into the family, now has to face the unimaginable cruelty of how jealous Saul's anger was. You know, a situation like this happened to me recently, but in a different way. One of the young men I've uh, had worked with many, many years in Boston. He, um, I worked with him when he was in the prison. He was in prison for, the youth prison for uh, about a year, year and a half. And then ultimately came home into the community. And I used to meet with them one to three times a month for about three years. And he's been to my home, I've, I knew his mother. His mother used to call me when she was worried that he wasn't doing well. Well, I I tried to reach out to him and connect with him, and then he just wasn't responding. And I couldn't figure out what happened, and I kept calling and kept calling, and I was worried about him. And then I just had this feeling that I should Google his name. And I did, and I found just something terrible. He had been arrested for murdering his own mother. And the details, I've never seen this happen in a police report or of the news reportings. The details were so gruesome of the crime scene that they wouldn't even release them. The only thing they could say is that his mother died of blunt injury to the head, which translation would mean he beat her head until she died. And as I read about this young man who i had known now for like four years and I'd worked with so closely, my soul began to ache. And I didn't really have any words that could express how I felt. And um, this verse came into my mind, the valley of the shadow of death. And that's exactly what it was. And it's a deep place to be in. Uh, It's a painful place to be in. But the hope is in this verse in finishing the verse is that God is with us in these valleys these shadows of death. Now my this particular story is probably uncommon. I doubt too many people have uh, dealt with that. But some of you have also experienced the same kinds of pain in your souls from other experiences. There is all kinds of unimaginable cruelty, unimaginable types of cruelty that a person can experience in the valleys of the shadow of death. Abandonment, neglect, abuse, rape, violence. Brothers and sisters, you do not have to fear the evil that lurks out there. God is with you. Psalm 23, verse 4 again, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Well, David's early life was a comfortable place. It was a safe place. He lived in a place where he was the commander of the army. And now David is living in a place where he's living in tents, in caves, He has no bed, he has no pillow, and all the while he's being hunted down by the army of Israel that he once led. Now David doesn't live like this for a day, or a week, or a month. No, this process goes on for about 10 years. And as you might imagine, David faced a lot of discouragement and doubt in that time period. And I'm sure there were times when David even doubted that he would ever become the king of Israel. And yet, in the midst of his long and painful time, God sustained David. And perhaps these experiences are what led David to write Psalm 23, verse 3 through 4. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Green pastures and still waters are a metaphor of the ways in which God restores our soul as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But what did these green pastures or these still waters look like practically in David's life? Well, this morning, I want to share with you two examples of what this, how this metaphor played out in reality. So um, the first passage is found in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 14 and 18. You can turn there yourself, or you can listen to me read it. It's too long to put on the projection screen. 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 14 through 18. And David stayed in in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. But so the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. So sometimes the green pastures and still waters that God will use to restore your soul is through other believers. Here we see David's friend came to him in the wilderness and strengthened his hand in God. That's another way of saying that God used Jonathan to restore David's soul. David was discouraged. And God used uh, Jonathan to remind David of the promises that he would one day become king over Israel. Now, when you're going through a hard season in your life, a long time period of discouragement and defeat you need to remember the hope of your calling. Losing hope is the surest path back into sin. But sometimes it will take another brother or sister in Christ to remind you of this hope of your calling. In the coronavirus pandemic, many believers have become discouraged. and Some had even forgotten the hope of their calling. And I think one of the main reasons for this is the lack of Christian fellowship. And for a season, this was absolutely necessary. Uh, We shut down our services in Boston. They actually did the same thing in Haiti. Um, But then it becomes important. It's critically important that we learn how to come back together, to experience each other's fellowship. Safely, yes, but that fellowship is critical. Let's read uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through 25. That'll be on the screen. And let us consider one another in order to store up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. So while we need to do these practical things like socially distance and wear masks, we can't abandon these green pastures and still waters that God has provided through fellowship with one another. In fact, this is one of the reasons I love going to Haiti. I've never left Haiti without feeling as though my soul had been restored. Over the years, I've developed uh, really close relationships with the people in the church. Pastor Fennell is like a brother to me, and we have the same kind of ministry we talk on the phone two or three times a month praying with each other. As I mentioned, he came and stayed with me several weeks, years ago, and we always have a great time together when I'm down there. And one of the ways that fellowship is strong is I know the cross that God has called him to carry in his own life and ministry, and he knows the crosses God has called me to carry. And so we can pray for each other and care for one another. Think of Pastor Serge. Um, and just the fellowship we have when I'm down there. After the earthquake, me and a few of the people at the church had to go right down there to bring cash. You couldn't get any money in through a banker anyway. We had to fly into the DR and be transported to Haiti. And it wasn't safe to be in any of the buildings. So we slept. There were 10 of us in about a 10 by 15 foot shed, sleeping shoulder to shoulder. Serge was right next to me. We'd been through a lot together. We've seen hard times together and we've seen and we've also had a lot of laughs and just enjoyed the things that God is doing. I have him in my life. You know, when he experienced his own son was having some faith struggles decade ago, he sent his son to come live with me for a while. When I've gone through my own struggles, Serge is always there to talk to me and pray for me and encourage me. Here in Boston in the prison ministry, I've had several brothers that are so close to me. One of them, his name is Tim. And Tim and I still catch up. Tim goes to a different church, but we still catch up on the phone. He's married, he's got several kids, so he's busy. But every time we talk, it it never fails, not because it's like a rule or requirement, it's like a conversation with my friend Tim is never complete until we prayed together. And we don't even share prayer requests. We can just tell from the tone of each other's voice what's going on in our lives. And I I mentioned those names to you just to give you some names to faces of how the Lord has used people like that in my life as I've gone through discouraging seasons, highs and lows. And Tim and I have been through a lot of stuff in the prison ministry, kids that we've cared about and loved who've been killed and all those things, how God has used those friendships. But you have to invest time for those friendships to have its power, right? We're not always in the valley of the shadow of death. But when you find yourself there, if you have invested in those relationships, it is an immeasurable value for them to be ministering to you when you're in pain. And so we as believers need to be investing in each other's lives to build those kinds of relationships, Well, year after year, Saul continued to hunt David with the hope of killing him. And eventually, David actually decided to run to the enemies of God. He actually fled to the land of the Philistines and, in fact, went to the king of Gath, which was the very nation which Goliath came from. And there he lived and became the ally of the Philistines David had become so backslidden in his faith that he was actually preparing to go to war against Israel in the very battle where both Saul and his dear friend Jonathan would ultimately be killed. Sin is like that. It's, It's such a dangerous thing. We may start by trying to hide it from the family of God, but if it remains hidden, it has this strange effect of turning us against the family of God. And that's what happened in David. But by God's grace, the other lords of the Philistines refused to allow David to go to battle with them. Even though David wanted to, they said, you know what? He used to fight against us. He's the one who killed Goliath. How can we trust him that he won't turn on us in the battle? So they sent David home where he was living in Ziklag. And as he returned, there he faced another tragedy. While he was away the Amalekites had invaded their homes taken their wives children and property and so what did David do as he returned back and found everything he valued and loved was taken First Samuel chapter 30 verse 6 through 7 But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God and then David said to Abiathar the priest the Himelech's son Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And so David inquired of the Lord. So while it was God's grace that prevented David from going to war against the people of God, it was through this very tragedy that David was forced now to find green pastures and still waters in God's presence alone. He had lost everything. And so David began to seek the Lord. And in fact, in this passage, it says that David strengthened himself in the Lord while he was alone. In the past, he had his friend Jonathan, but now God wants David to learn to strengthen himself in God alone. In the Old Testament, the ephod represented one of the means by which believers could seek the presence of God. But for us, after the cross and the resurrection, we now have the words, the Bible, the words of the prophets, the words of the apostles. We have the Holy Spirit who teaches us all these things and how they apply into our lives. And we have the gift of prayer by which we may seek and find our God in the midst uh, of all that discourages us. And these also are a source of restoring the soul. Let's look at just Psalm 23, verse 3 through 4 again. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. I might just point out that David stopped doing this. But now God is going to make David do this. And David in his older years could thank the Lord that even in this tragedy, God used it to make me find the green pastures and the still waters that restored my soul. So what did David find after he repented and strengthened himself in God? Well, first Samuel chapter 30, verse 8 says, So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And God answered him, Pursue you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. So brothers and sisters, I have a word for you. When you repent like David repented, God's heart is for you to recover all that you have lost through sin. Not some. His desire is for you to recover all. Jesus told us that it is the devil who comes to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said that I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. The devil wants to steal from you. Jesus wants to restore to you all that you have lost through sin. David did indeed have this victory. He overtook the Malachites And he did get back everything and every person that was lost. Even more than that, the Philistines actually were victorious over the Israelites, killing King Saul, who had become David's enemy. And shortly after this, David was brought back to Israel, where he was anointed king over Judah. And then not many years after that, became king over all of Israel, just as the Lord had said to the prophet Samuel and as it was affirmed to him by his friend Jonathan. Maybe that was what David was thinking, that experience of after all the hard times, after the failures on his part, the backsliding and seeing God's grace. Maybe that's what was on his mind as he wrote the verses, Psalm 23 and verse 6. Surely goodness And mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we began this morning with the first verse of Psalm 23. Psalm 23, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And no doubt this morning, in this room, and the people watching online, people are in all different kinds of circumstances in their life. Some are doing well, but other people are in seasons like David was, where you have the promise of God, but you're not able to see any evidence of how those promises could ever be fulfilled. And over the years, through that long trial, David learned that he could call the Lord his shepherd no matter what the circumstance was that he was in. Perhaps I might leave you with a warning and a way to overcome from the scriptures. When you're in a season of despair, one sin in particular can do you great damage. Do you know what that sin is? It's the sin of covetousness. You may recall this is one of the Ten Commandments. In fact, the last of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20 and verse 17 You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall, uh, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Maybe you are being poisoned today by the sin of covetousness. You're coveting a marriage while you're single. Or you're coveting someone else's job when you don't have one or don't like the job you have. Maybe you're coveting someone else's ministry or place of ministry or whatever it may be, just their position in life. You're being poisoned as you are angry, finding out that you lack something that someone else has. Well, how do you overcome this? Well, the key to repenting is found in that verse. If you could put it up again, Dave. Jesus himself has said that I will never leave you nor forsake you. So to overcome the sin of covetousness, you have to come to realize that Jesus is your shepherd in every circumstance. It is Jesus who has set you at the table that you sit at now, whatever enemies you may be facing. So when your friend or someone else you know is able to eat in peace and laughter, and you're there living in the presence of your enemy, don't worry about the fact that they're laughing and enjoying while you are suffering. God is with you in the place that he has set you. When you have to go through a place or any season of discouragement, when you're in the valley of the shadow of death, don't worry about the fact that others may be at ease in this moment. God is with you in the valley that you're in. And when you know that God is with you in every circumstance, then you will be able to say, just as David did in Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, this morning I want to close with really two invitations. And if the worship team wants to come up, they're welcome to. The first invitation is to anyone who has never made Jesus the Lord and Shepherd of their life. I grew up going to church, and um, I ended up actually living in this, uh, down, down the, the other side of this building is an apartment complex. I was doing a fellowship at the Brigham 15 years ago. And even though I grew up going to church, I grew up reading the Bible, I grew up singing the songs of the church. I had never, really never made Jesus my Lord. I had sort of set up for myself my own definitions of what seemed fair for right and wrong, at least in my, the culture I was living in, comparing myself to how other people lived. But I hadn't really embraced all that God said was good and evil. And I hadn't really ever trusted him. The Bible says that we all like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way. That's what I had done. I had turned to my own way, which I thought was right. And yet Jesus is calling us, maybe calling you today, to turn from your own way and embrace his way. So if that describes you, if you want to surrender and embrace the shepherd's call, you can come up and pray with me or someone else maybe you know in the service, after the service, after the song and after we uh, dismiss the service but I also want to offer a second invitation, and it's for anyone who's already made the Lord their shepherd sometime in the past, but now you're going through something very difficult in life where you don't feel like you know or feel like your shepherd is there. You're trying to believe in his promises, but you feel like you're losing hope. Maybe you once believed in the calling God had on your life, but... Now you're doubting if that was real or if you were just imagining it. Maybe you're even in a place of hopelessness so deep that your resolve against sins that you'd once overcome are now starting to overtake you again. Well, if that is you, or if there's really anything else you really feel stirred in your heart that needs prayer, we're going to have an opportunity to pray out back after the service ends. There'll be people located out at the tables to prayer. And if you're online, we have Zoom prayer sessions that you can log into. The password for those sessions as you log in from the website is Psalm 23. If you want to pray with a brother or sister over what's going on in your life, please do that. And now let us all rise to the last worship song and I will lead us in prayer. Lord, I'm just so thankful For David, you call him a man after God's own heart and let you reveal to us all the beautiful things and all the ugly things in his life. And I thank you for sharing that with me, Lord. It gives me hope, God, in in spite of how many ways I fail. Lord, you remain faithful. Your word says, even though we may be faithless, you remain faithful. You cannot deny yourself. And so, Lord, I thank you for shepherding me throughout this life, every up and down, and I pray for my brothers and sisters here, whatever they're going through, whether it's a high place or a low place, pray for those who are in the valley of the shadow of death now, Lord, those who are sitting in the presence of their enemies. I pray that you would strengthen them, encourage them. Pray for those who are isolated, Lord, and and they're not benefiting or not having the opportunity to find the green pastures and still waters of fellowship with you, or or those who don't have that time or haven't learned how to spend time in your word alone and find green pastures and still waters. Lord, I just pray that you would show them the way. Be their shepherd to them as you have been to me. Lord, if you were not my shepherd, God, I would have surely failed. And we all need you, Lord. Please come and do that work. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.